Well, hello there and welcome to the County Conversation, a podcast featuring employees and subject matter experts in the Fairfax County government discussing programs, services, and items of interest to residents of Fairfax County. I'm your host, Jim Person, and today on this edition of The Conversation, I'm chatting with Keisha Koch, Assistant Division Director of Domestic and Sexual Violence Services in the Department of Family Services. Now, as you know, March is Social Work Month, a time to recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the important work of social workers. And this is our second in a series of podcast interviews this month focusing on social workers and Social Work Month. Now, today, Keisha is here to chat with us about the opportunities of social workers working for the, Defam- uh, the Department of Family uh, Services, as well as survivors of domestic and sexual violence, human trafficking, and stalking, plus about her own background of getting into social work. And hint, hint, it isn't what you might think. So, Keisha, thanks for being here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation already right off the bat as we were discussing before the show. I can tell you're bubbly, you're energetic. I think it's going to be a fun conversation. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So first of all, we, we, we talk about this being Social Work Month. Why is that important to recognize Social Work Month? Unfortunately, social work is a, a field that isn't widely recognized mm-hmm. um, and, quite frankly, also not widely respected. Mm-hmm. Think about it also as um, similar to the teaching profession and oftentimes how teachers are taken for granted and people do not know all that's involved in teaching. The same is true for social work. Um, and social work also, there's, there's some, there can be a negative misperception about right. what social work is. Unfortunately, the media has not done the field of social work um, any any good. And oftentimes social workers are only depicted as quote unquote baby snatchers. And social work is so much more of a vast field than child protective service or protection of children. And so it is so important that social work, the field of social work is recognized in March so that we can bring more public awareness about the field and also try to attract interest in it. It's such a wonderful field to be in. Um, it's hard work, and it's rewarding, and it's much needed. So how would you change the depiction of social work? Put it in its best foot forward, best light. Tell me about the benefits or the positive from you, your viewpoint about social work and social workers. It'd be wonderful if social work, it could be a day in the life of social work, hmm. um, where people were actually able to see the realities of social, social work. Um, it, with the Fairfax County Department of Social Services, there's such an array of of a- different areas in this field. So, from our um, public assistance and employment services, where people are helping, well, social workers are helping people obtain public assistance to support themselves individually as well as their families. It also entails connecting people with employment services and helping them strengthen their skill set to make them more marketable. Social work could be in the area of adult and aging, and that's helping older adults um, as they age. And, and, and Lord willing, all of us will be aging. And right. so um, you know, this is an area, again, where we provide assistance with the aging population as well as individuals with disabilities. Social work is also um, our child welfare, our children, youth, and family services. And so, again, most people know child protective services all the way through prevention services and 
um, family preservation, like protection and preservation, to try to keep families intact and provide that additional support they may need to succeed and meet their goals, as well as foster care and adoption services. And then, of course, the area of social work that I'm currently in is domestic and sexual violence services. And we support um, individuals, children, families, the community, which are impacted by domestic and sexual violence, stalking, and human trafficking. And so it is such a vast field, so very interesting, um, and really does help for those who are interested in helping others. There's, there's, there's an area of social work for you. All right. I think that's where it's got to start, doesn't it? That that desire, that want to help people. Yes. Yeah, so that's <laughs> that's definitely a common thread when you ask social workers. Probably one of the top three responses for why they went into this field, why we go into this field, is because we wanted to help people. Right. And so, um, and again, how that how that help is applied can look differently, but absolutely wanting to help people and and trying to trying to strengthen them individually, their families, and help them meet their goals and realize their strengths. You mentioned several different areas, lots of different areas that social workers can, can get into, public assistance, employment assistance, that type of care, yes. uh, that kind of thing, foster care, adoption, domestic and sexual violence, which we'll get into a little bit more here with you as the interview gets on or the podcast gets on. <laughs> I told you during pre-show, it wouldn't be an interview, so <laughs> podcast conversation. Um, are there certain educational requirements, skill levels, things that you kind of have to have in any in all of these different areas to be a social worker? There, there is, absolutely. Um, so, and, and again, it all depends on which area of social work you're doing. And um, one of the minimum requirements typically is a bachelor's degree in a human services field. So it can be social work, it can be counseling, sociology, um, and, and social work. In this area, Fairfax County, you know how uh, lucrative Fairfax County is, and so our standard tends to be higher. And so oftentimes, a um, master's degree is the standard, whereas if you um, practice social work in other areas of the country, it might be a bachelor's or even, maybe even associates. I don't know if you know you know, any current openings or anything like that or what people would need to do if they're interested in applying, but anything you could tell me along the line of, Working for family services or anything along that line about how to how to go about getting a job with Fairfax County. Yes, Jim. Good question. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Even dying to answer <laughs> yes, that. Absolutely. And so, um, yes, family services as well as domestic and sexual violence services currently has openings. And so, I invite listeners to visit the FairfaxCounty.gov website and click on the option for jobs, and then you'll see all the jobs in Fairfax County posted including those within the Department of Family Services and Domestic and Sexual Violence Services. Okay, cool. We'll try to repeat that as, as we get closer to the end of the, the uh, podcast as well. Um, speaking of employment and kind of career paths, I think I teased it in the opening that your background of getting into social work was not kind of maybe what the listener might think. Right. Uh, right. T- tell me that story. Yeah, really interesting how life sometimes takes us, right? Or yeah. where it takes us. And so my goal, I, I, I always knew, as you mentioned, the com- one of the commonalities of social work is that right. I wanted to help people. Right. And and so I pursued the field of psychology and I thought I wanted to be a therapist. Hmm. And 
after I obtained my undergrad degree in psychology, I was looking to work before I went to graduate school because I knew that that was something I was going to need to do in order again to be to obtain a, a job in this in this area. Right. And so, Fairfax County hired me as a social worker, which was so funny because I never wanted to be a social worker. And when I was pursuing my degree in psychology, I had two professors tell me that based on what they knew of me and my passions and my goals, they thought social work would be a better fit. Mm. I sounded like a a textbook social worker. Mm. And I rejected it because, as we mentioned, like many other people (laughs) in the country, I had had a misperception of what social work was. Um, once again, I thought it was only the picture of child protect, child protective services, um, that we see on TV or that it was working with recipients of what was then welfare. And I didn't know what a vast field it was. And so I ended up getting a job as a social worker. My plan was to only work maybe one year, two years max and then go back to school to pursue my PhD in psychology. And that's what I learned how vast of a field social work is. Um, and this was through Fifth County Department of Family Services. I was able to see firsthand in through the positions that I had, as well as my partnerships with other social workers throughout the, the department, as well as the county, different areas of social work. For example, even in domestic and sexual violence services, we have therapists there. And so we provide short-term therapy, and there are people who are doing that as social workers, some of them also are counselors, but also social workers. So, um, and then I also learned about what child protective services really is and what uh, benefits really is. And so really just had that up close look and experience at the power of social work in all the fields that, that, that it is. And so when I, when I received my first job as a social worker and it was in child welfare and, and our adoption services program, mm. I fell in love with social work. And that was in 2000. And so that was 23 years ago. Gonna say, I'm still here. Seems like it stuck, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely stuck. And so instead of going back to school for my PhD in psychology, I went back to school for my master's in, in social work and then went on to, um, become a licensed clinical social worker. Well, congrats. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And that's all because of the county. Wow. Okay. Well, if that's not a testimonial for, <laughs> I don't know what is. We're speaking with Keisha Koch. She is the Assistant Division Director of Domestic and Sexual Violence Services in the Department of Family Services. We're, of course, kind of talking about social work since March is social work, but I want to talk a little bit more about your area right now, domestic yes. and sexual yes. violence services. Going to refer to it by the acronym, maybe the rest of the way, DSVS, because it's just easier it's to a say. Mouthful. Yeah, tell me about DSVS. Yeah, so in domestic and sexual violence services, we provide support for individuals, children, families, and in the community at large who are impacted by domestic and sexual violence, stalking, and human trafficking. The statistics change. One in four. Women and one in seven men have reported being victims of of sexual violence, and these are just the the, the reports 
right, you right. Know, obviously the abuse happens more and some people choose not to, to share. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it could be shame and also it could be lack of resources. It could be perception from the community. Oftentimes when we hear that somebody is sexually assaulted, sometimes the first thought is, well, why did you put yourself in that position? Right. What did you do? Right. It could be because it's dangerous for them to report. It could make the abuse, it could worsen the abuse. Um, and unfortunately, maybe even lead to them being killed. Mm. And so sharing your abuse isn't something that should be taken lightly or even assumed because there are implications that come with it. And so in domestic and sexual violence services, regardless of whether a survivor, um, as well as a person who has used harm shares, chooses to share openly about their experiences by just coming to us. Mm-hmm. We, we meet them where they are and we provide that support to help them meet their goals um, and to try to make things safer for themselves, for their families and for their communities. You mentioned community in, in, your, in your last answer and, and talking about the reaction. Yes. Um, what would you say to listeners right now if someone comes to you and says, you know, I've been the victim of sexual violence or domestic violence? What should a community person do when they first hear that from a friend or family member? It's such a great question. The first thing to do is to tell them that you believe them. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when a person who has been abused shares their abuse, it may be the only time they share it, or you may be the first person that they're sharing it with. Right. And so it's so important to share, to tell them that you believe them. The other thing that I you know, highly encourage people to do is even now, contact the Domestic and Sexual Violence Hotline at 703-360-7273 to have these conversations in advance. What should I do? If somebody tells me, whether it's a friend or it could be a, a colleague, a coworker, um, for any younger folks listening, it could be, you know, one of their friends, you know, mm-hmm. it could be a teenager telling them that they've been um, assaulted or uh, abused. And so to learn what they can do so that they have the tools that they need to support their, their friend or the person who's disclosed the abuse to them in that moment. Mm-hmm. Our domestic and sexual violence hotline is just a clearinghouse of information. And survivors, individuals who have been subject to abuse, who have experienced this abuse, call the line, as well as professionals working with survivors, those who have used harm, call our, our hotline, and friends and family who are concerned about an individual and maybe suspect or knows that they are being abused. And then sometimes... You know, once again with the media, when there is a mainstream feature about abuse, uh, intimate partner violence or right. sexual violence, then oftentimes our hotline receives additional calls, a hot, higher volume of calls with people just asking questions. What do I do? Or this is, you know, maybe even survivors sharing their abuse for the first time. And so really I encourage listeners to keep that number handy, even if you don't think you need it now, because abuse is underreported, we don't, you, you don't know, you, you may be a survivor yourself, you may be a person who 
has used harm. And you definitely know someone, whether you are conscious or not, who has experienced uh, abuse. Right. And so definitely keep that number handy and so that it's, it's available when you do need it. Well, you mentioned earlier on um, statistics, you know, like one in four, one in seven. Yes. But who knows what that could really Absolutely. be? Because as you said, oftentimes it is not reported. Absolutely. What would you say to someone that is a victim about why they should come forward and, and report it or at least take the steps to be in contact with domestic and sexual violence services and hotline? Yeah, so with victims, if it, particularly if there are any, any survivors listening, I, I would tell them they know themselves, they know their situation, trust their gut first and foremost. If they are able to contact our domestic and sexual violence hotline, um, if it's safe to, because it may not right, be, so right. if it's safe to, we're available seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Call us. We're there to listen and provide compassion. We also provide safety planning. And mm -hmm. so even with survivors who remain in, in the relationship with the person who is abusing them, who's harming them, we, along with the survivor, try to help them develop a plan so that they can, to the best of their ability, and again, it's, you know, when somebody's abusing you, right. the onus is on the person who is harming you, but the best of their ability to try to stay safe. And so um, we, again, and that plan can look very different depending on who the person is, what their resources is, what their supports are, what their you know, natural supports as well as formal supports are. And so we, we definitely want to, or we definitely do on the hotline, provide that safety planning and, of course, resources. One of the misperceptions that people also have is, why don't they just leave? Right. And as I was sharing earlier, it's dangerous for many survivors to seek help and to report that they've been abused. Um, you know, also there's cultural implications. And so, and there's, there's, stigmas and financial um, disadvantages for many um, children. Children and pets are a huge reason why some survivors continue to be in that relationship because they want to preserve stability right. or a certain level of living for their, their pets as well as their children. And so, again, I would just encourage survivors to, if they're able to, right. to reach out to the Domestic and Sexual Violence Services hotline and trust their gut. And again, that number is 703-360-7273. But I will just interject here. Obviously, if it's a life safety issue, if you're, if, if you're definitely in danger, don't think about the hotline. Just call 911. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the law enforcement is a resource for many communities. Some individuals don't necessarily find law enforcement a support. And so if a survivor is able, try to develop a plan for that safety, um, whether it's a, a neighbor or when a neighbor hears that, you know, or, or a neighbor suspects something's going on. Mm -hmm to develop a plan to try to keep that survivor and anybody else in that household safe. 
yes, absolutely, law enforcement, you know, for both folks who are, are, are suspect abuse, who may have encountered abuse, law enforcement is definitely a resource. But I just want to um, make sure that I point out that it may not be a resource law enforcement for everyone. And sometimes when even when we have survivors calling our hotline, they'll share with us, no, I don't want to call the police. Mm. And so then we provide other resources for them. Okay. Um, you mentioned the hotline. We've talked about it a couple of times. Uh, and you said 24-7, yes. seven days a week. Yes. I'm assuming your staff can't fill seven days a week, <laughs> 24 hours a day. So I'm assuming that you have volunteers. Talk to me a little bit about volunteering for the hotline, any requirements, et cetera. Yes. Well, our hotline would not operate without our volunteers. So, yes, you're correct, Jim. Our Hotline is staffed by um, our staff during the day and by volunteers, as well as our shelter, the domestic violence shelter mm-hmm. overnight. And our and on, the volunteers work on weekends as well. And so we have, we're just blessed to have a robust group of dedicated, passionate, responsible volunteers who also answer hotline calls. Some of our vol- volunteers have been survivors of domestic and sexual violence, stalking, human trafficking, mm-hmm. and some may have been impacted directly by the abuse. And so, and some may have never even heard of really or right. be familiar with domestic and sexual violence, stalking, human trafficking, and, and, and came to our, one of our orientation sessions for volunteers and it piqued their interest even, even more. But we love our volunteers and they're so very dedicated. And so whenever somebody does call the hotline, as I mentioned, somebody will answer. And how would someone go about volunteering? Is there a telephone number or just call that hotline? Absolutely. Yes, they can actually call the hotline. That's a great, you know, great, great way for them to, to get in touch. And, and we have other opportunities uh, besides the hotline. So absolutely, we'll train individuals on how to respond to calls that come through our domestic and sexual violence hotline. We also have opportunities to accompany survivors to court. We have opportunities for to accompany survivors to medical exams for um, also providing group counseling. And again, this is co- through a co-facilitation um, process. And then there may be some people who are interested in volunteering, but they may not want to volunteer directly with a survivor or a person who's caused harm. And so we have opportunities to for administrative support and for data entry and data management support, as well as legislative review. So receiving all those bills yeah. that, yeah, yeah. At, at the beginning of each year, reviewing <laughs> them and, and weighing in on the implications and providing a, a response on behalf of the, the county. And so there are plenty of opportunities to apply, uh, um, to volunteer. And we also have outreach and engagement. And so educating others about the areas that Domestic and Sexual Violence Services focuses on. A lot of opportunities. Yes. Uh, if you are interested, just go to fairfaxcounty.gov and you can search domestic and sexual violence services. Or if you're looking to get employed by the county and you can see how well it worked out for Keisha, uh, just you know, search jobs on fairfaxcounty.gov. And again, that hotline 703-360-7273. That's domestic and sexual violence hotline, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Last 30 seconds before we go. Final, final word you want to leave our listener with. So this is Social Work Appreciation Month consider a field of social work. It is awesome. I have not looked back since becoming a social worker. I've not looked back and I am so proud to be a social worker. So I am um, the textbook and the, 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 um, 
um, poster child. sharer of <laughs> yes of what how what a wonderful field it is so mm-hmm. inquire and come join us awesome well i mean i can see it in your face mm-hmm. looking at you but i i know it's coming through the, the airways people can hear the smile and your voice and the joy coming through so keisha thank you so much for being here on thank the podcast you, jim appreciate you absolutely a uh, great conversation with Keisha Koch, and thanks to you for joining us here on the County Conversation. If you want to get more Fairfax County news, just go to fairfaxcounty.gov news or call 703-Fairfax. That's 703-324-7329. That is weekdays between 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. Thanks again for joining us on the County Conversation podcast, which is produced by the Fairfax County, Virginia government. 